You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. In this series, The Kingdom of God, we trace the story of God's kingdom throughout the entire Bible, from Genesis to Revelation. Let me pray for us, and I want to dive into what we have, what God has for us today. Father, I thank you for your word, Lord. I thank you that, Lord, as we have been singing about how vast and great your kingdom is, Lord, and and that we are like a speck of sand on the beach, but you care for us so deeply. And Father, I pray today as we probably look over uh, material or or scripture that's very familiar to us, Lord, uh, Father, I just pray that one, we would see that there's a bigger thing happening than just what's happening in our lives. And, And God's in control of it. And God has called us into it. And Lord, I pray that we see that today. I pray that you would help us see that. It's only through your spirit that we see anything of the truth of God's word. Lord, I just pray that the spirit would help us do so today. Lord, I just, as we leave here today, there'll be a, a question just to ask at the end, to ask of our lives, just to, to look at how we are looking at things as far as the story of our lives versus the story that God has happening all around us. Lord, I pray that you would help us see that and answer that question well. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I got a little story here of Peter and Peggy. A young man and woman find themselves at a table at a service luncheon, just maybe right after service, just like a service that we're in right now, and they're having coffee and sandwiches, and it's just a time of of, uh, of just being in fellowship with one another, and, and uh, Peter and Peggy just find they strike up a conversation. They're two new people to a church, and they're, you know, and, and they're talking, and they lost time, and people are cleaning up, and you've been there. The, the chairs are getting stacked, you know. The people that we're serving, they're, they're like, you know, it's, okay, it's we're 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 going home, and you guys do whatever you want to do, but we got to clean up. And so, these two, Peter and Peggy, they decide, you know what? Um, maybe we should con- continue this conversation. So um, they make arrangements. They're going to meet at Clyder the next morning, and and they're going to have some more coffee and talk some more. And as the conversation picks up again, Peter and Peggy gradually finding themselves telling each other bits and pieces of what are they going to be telling each other. They're going to be telling each other bits and pieces of their story, of their life story, right? The story of their lives, where they grew up, you know, different things about themselves, you know, how did they end up at at this same church, you know, and different things like that. And in my little scenario, it's just something that I was, I was pulling from, a, from a, a book I was reading. Like, you know, Peter was the, the youngest of, of four boys. And, and Peggy was all around the world because her, her parents was consulates and different things like that. And, but yet they found themselves at a church one day. And they ended up at a, at a, a luncheon afterwards, and, and now they're sitting at a place like Clatter, and they're talking, and they're telling each other about their lives. And what they're doing is that they're telling their story. They're telling one another their story. And if you think about it, the only proper answer to tell me about yourself is to actually tell your story, right? If someone comes up to you and, and says, you know, tell me a little bit about yourself. Well, where do you want me to start? I'll start the story wherever you want me to start, right? 
You know, we want to understand who they are. And as we get to know people, we, we kind of want to go further back to understand not only who the person is now, but how did they get here, right? How, how did Peter and Peggy end up at this church whenever one was all over the world with, with their parents and one hasn't really left, you know, 100 miles from his hometown that's at this church that they're sitting at? So they're telling their story. We're seeking to learn the experiences, ideas, and people that have shaped their lives. That's what we do when we get to know somebody. We get to know their story. Their personal stories give the context ex- explain much about their lives, but what if Peter and Peggy's personal stories only tells part of a bigger story? What if their personal story, this is where I grew up, this is you know where I went to, to high school, where I went to college, and this is what I'm doing now. What if, what if that story is only telling a piece of a, a bigger story? And what if there is a true story that is bigger than all of us, through which we can understand the world and find meaning for our lives? So what if there's a, a bigger story happening around us you know, and it's already been alluded to as, as Tim prayed for us that we can come out of our own little kingdom. Maybe there's a story happening all around us that we are a part of. It's just whether or not we acknowledge that we are a part of it or not. And this is the true story of what is really happening, what is truthfully happening. Leslie Newbigin puts it this way. The way we understand human life depends on what conception we have of the human story. What is the real story of which my life story is a part of? Now, so many times we, we fragment that. We, we lose um, sight of the, of the overall story. And obviously, since we're sitting in a Christian church, we're believing that the overall story is from the Bible. And many times we, we spend our lives and spend time attaching ourselves to maybe bigger stories, but not the biggest story for seasons and times in our lives. But what I wanted to try to convey today, and and as we talk about the kingdom of God, that there is one true story that is happening. And whether or not we acknowledge it or not, it's happening. It's happening every day, and God has a purpose, and he's working it out. It's just whether or not we will step into it or acknowledge it. Again, there is a real story that provides a framework of meaning for all people in all times and all places, and therefore my own life in this world. That story, the story of the kingdom of God and what God is doing is where we find meaning. It's where we find purpose. It's where we find the truth of the story that is happening all around us that our little stories are all part of. Now, in a, in a pluralistic society that we live in, which is much of, of the earth right now, uh, many people do not believe there's such a story. They, they don't believe that there's an overarching story that, that holds everything together and pulls everything together. It is kind of like you do you and I'll do me kind of idea. Right? However, there are others who claim there's, there is one true and real story. And it gives meaning to all of our other smaller stories. We know that. We, again, as I already alluded to, we believe that the Bible is giving us this story. A Muslim, for instance, believes that the story told in the Quran is the true story of Allah, his creation, rule, and final triumph. 
The modernist who's still committed to enlightenment story believes that the account of reality to be true, that humankind will ultimately conquer nature by the application of human reason alone and that science and technology will help us build a better world for all. That's kind of the enlightenment thinking, that, that man will conquer everything through reason and technology and, and how smart they are. But that's just, again, their version of the truth. Do we believe the Bible? Do we believe what God says? Do we believe that, that He is the Creator, as we've been singing about all morning long, that He created everything? So therefore, it's His story to tell. It's His story to be a part of. It's His kingdom to be a part of. See, a story that is much more than a story. And that's God's story. It is much more than a story. It doesn't start once upon a time. We, we say it's a story, and, and we use the book, and we say this is the story of Scripture, a meta-narrative of Scripture, but I think it goes beyond just a story because what it is speaking out is it is speaking truth to us. It doesn't start once upon a time. It starts in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It's a much different beginning than many of the stories that we think of when we think of a story. So I think it, although we can use that language story, I think it does move beyond just a story. As we looked at last week, we, we said that it was his testimony of his kingdom as we went through the, very quickly, I know, we went through the, from Genesis to Revelation, looking at his kingdom. And we'll start to unpack some of that over the coming weeks. But the reality is that God has created a kingdom, and his kingdom is the reality that gives meaning to all people. This is the bigger story in which we all live. This is the bigger story. God's people in God's place under God's rule. So let's begin at the beginning and look how, how God has established his kingdom. And what he says in Genesis 1, 1 and 2, he says this, in the beginning, God created a place for his people to live under his rule. Just another way to saying God's people in God's place under God's rule. Genesis 1, 1 and 2 says this, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now we got to see that the, the very fact that God is creator and, and that man is his creature establishes at the outset the basis for understanding the kingdom of God. Right? He's the king. He's the ultimate king. He's, it's his kingdom. He gets to make the rules. Right? That he is creator, that we are creature. And a lot of times we get that flipped around. And as we will see next week, um, that is part of the fall where we're always asking the question, did God really say that? Did God really say that? Did God really say that if you do this, it'll work well for you? If you don't do this, it'll work badly for you? We consistently always want to build our kingdom, but we need to step into his kingdom. And right here at the very beginning, he created us. So he is the creator, we are the creature, and that is the, the basis for the understanding of the kingdom of God. And as his creation, we are subject to his rule. But you know what? God is such a patient God. He is such a patient God. We are his children. Yes, we are under his rule, and as we've already talked about this morning through song and in-between song, that, that we often rebel against him, but he is just so 
patient with us. He is so patient. When God created his people, man and woman, he did so in a specific place called Eden. This is where he put his man, his, his human beings that he created. We see this in Genesis 2, 8 and 9. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in, in the east, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So God made his people under his rule, and he put them in a place. This was a special place. That's why I think it was, it was called out as Eden. Now, obviously, he created the heavens and the earth, so he, he created all the land mass that we can step on here today. But there was this place called Eden that he put the man and the woman. And that was because that is a temple of God's presence. What did God do? He walked with them in the garden. He was present with them. He was with them. And, and that's what Eden represents. It's, it's God's temple of God's presence. He was with his people in his place under his rule. Now we will see throughout the journey through the Bible over the next coming weeks that there's always a place for God to meet with his people. And I, I know some of you that knows your Bible and you're thinking through, oh yeah, yeah, tabernacle, temple, right? Um, us. The church, right? He's, there's always a place where God is going to have set out to meet his people. And that's what Eden was. Eden to the promised land, to the tabernacle, to the temple, and then one day to the new heavens and the new earth. God is, always has a place to meet with his people. It's pretty amazing how much he cares and loves us and is doing all of this for us, just so he can be with us. Just so he can be with us. I mean, it, we have this whole big Bible showing us all the things that he's done to be with us. As those that are his children, why do we struggle so much to be with him? What's, what's kind of off in our thinking? that we don't want to spend time with this God who has done all of this just to be with us. Just to be with us. And maybe it's because we're, we're so busy building our kingdoms that we don't have you know, time to, to step in and spend time with him. But, but the amazing thing is, is, is oftentimes, I know it is in, in my life, when I spend time with him, the things that I'm doing go so much better. So much better. And I know that, that everything that we do, our jobs and everything else, and, and raising kids and going to school and all the different things that we do, that's not all necessary building our kingdom. That's necessary things to, to actually do to, to um, go and, and spread the word about his kingdom. But sometimes we're, we're caught up in, in those things that we just we don't get to spend time with a God who has done so much to spend time with us. To spend time with us. You know, and it's not about feeling bad and saying I'm sorry. It's about truly repenting and changing our minds and asking for help. Asking for help from, I, I know i got to ask for help and bring people around me to, to kick me in the butt so I do things that I should be doing. That's why we have discipleship groups. That's one of the, the purposes of them. 
So you're held accountable. Hey, have you read scripture this week at all? I mean, or, okay, can I read it to you? <laughs> you know, just so that we have the word and we have that time with God, with one another. See, God always has a place to meet his people. The people that, by the way, that he created. We see this in Genesis 2-7. He breathed into his nostrils the breath of life after he made him out of the dust of the sand. And the man became a living creature. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs, closed up its place with the flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to man. So not only did he make a place, Eden, where he could spend time with his creatures, he, he made us. Humans are the pinnacle of God's creation. They are the pinnacle of it. Adam and Eve are given tasks to be fruitful and multiply. So now we have, we have God's place that has been formed where he can spend time with his people. And now we see, okay, now they're under his rule. He's given them some tasks to do. He's actually said there's some things you should do and some things you should not do. They're under his rule. So from the very beginning, we have God's people and God's place under God's rule. Adam and Eve, again, are given tasks to be fruitful and multiply, to fill the earth and subdue it, and to have dominion over it. They are to rule the earth and bring order just as God did, right? Because it says, in the beginning, there was chaos, and God brings order to chaos. So then there's chaos on the earth, and he makes man and woman, and he says, you are to rule over the chaos and bring order to it. That's why Adam was naming the animals and he was, he was working the ground. He's taken chaos and giving order to it. That's one of the things that he has given us to do. And it's for the purpose of his kingdom. But so many times we get that backwards and think it's the purpose for ourselves. And we're all guilty of that. We all tend to do that here and there. So what God does is he includes them in this world-forming, kingdom-creating plan. You know what? He still does this today. It's just not something that happened back in Genesis 1. It still happens today, which we will get to here in a little bit. So what we have is we have God's people in God's place under God's rule. And, and what we said last week is how he administers his kingdom is through covenant. And there's many covenants throughout the Bible. But there's two main ones that we talked about other than the covenant of redemption. And that's the covenant of works and the covenant of grace. And then there's many different um, ways that the, the covenant of grace has been flushed out over time. But what we hear, have right here is the, the covenant of works between God and Adam. Now, although that there is no such language within Genesis, like we don't see the word covenant, we do have all of the components of a covenant. There's, they're all there. Even though it's not said that, okay, this is a, a covenant between God and man, but all the components are there for a covenant. Grudem lays them out for us this way. He just lays them out. This is like the, this is what the stipulations are whenever you see a covenant and how it is happening. A clear definition of the parties involved, God, Adam, and Eve, a legally binding set of provisions that stipulates the conditions of their relationship, the promise of blessings for obedience, and the condition for obtaining those blessings. And that's all found right there 
in, in the account in Genesis 1 and 2. All those things are there. And there's actually one place in the Bible that refers back to this covenant of works between Adam and God, and that's in um, Hosea. In Hosea, Hosea is talking about Israel's sins, and it says this in Hosea 6, 7. But like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt falsely with me. So now, he's going clear back to Genesis when he says that there was a covenant there between God and man. This is things that we'll be talking about tomorrow, how we've transgressed the covenant and how we've um, broken the kingdom, so to speak, through our sin. But see, Adam had had this covenant with God here in the garden. That's how he's administrating his kingdom. So that means that all human beings are covenantal beings. All of us. Because, because when we go later on and we, we look at Paul and, and Paul's writings, right? He, he consistently always talks about you are either in Adam or you are in Christ. So if you're in Adam... You are, you are, he secures for you the blessings or the curses that he got. And we know, we don't have to wait till next week, we kind of know this, that, that he fell. He sinned, right? So he gets curses. And, and that's what happens. But if you're in Christ, right, he's taken the curse that we deserve, and he perfectly obeyed and fulfilled the covenant of works perfectly. That's why he could be the perfect sacrifice, to, to take away all our sins because he fulfilled it. He obeyed perfectly. So we're either in Adam or we're in Christ. But every human on the planet is a covenantal being. We're in covenant with God one way or the other. And the wonderful things is that he calls, calls us out of, out of being in Adam and, and puts us in Christ. And then he says, okay, my plan is this. Like I said last week, I'm not sure if it'd be my plan, but my plan is this. I want you all to go and tell other people so the good news of what I have done through Christ, and therefore they maybe can come from Adam and be in Christ. It's just pretty amazing how God puts all this together, all just so that you and I can sit here today and say, if someone asks you, do you know Christ? Yes. When you die, where might you go? Well, I'm going to heaven. I'm going to be with the Lord the rest of eternity. Just incredible. Again, it, it, in the Garden of Eden, we see these pieces of the covenant. It's quite clear there was a legally binding set of provisions that defined the conditions of the relationship between God and man. These conditions were clearly put out. We can read them in Genesis 1, 28 through 30. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree uh, with seed in its fruits. You shall have them for food. And every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has breath of life, I have given every green plant for food, and it is so. And you go down to Genesis two sixteen through 17. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, the ones that he made for him. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely eat die. So, there's a covenant there. 
If, if you do this, you'll have curses. You will die. If you don't do this, you have blessings. You will live forever. In the promise of punishment for disobedience, there's implicit a promise of blessing for obedience. Right? There's, he doesn't explicitly say that within the, the chapter 2 of Genesis, but what he is in, implying is that you know, if, if, you, if you disobey, there's curses, but if you obey, there are blessings. And in fact, Paul in Romans 7, 9 and 10 refers to this, this idea that if we keep the command, there's a promise of life to it. He says this, I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin came alive and I died. The very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. So there's Paul alluding to the fact that if we obey, there's a promise of life. But each of us know that sitting here today, that you, know, you ask a simple question, have you, have you lied in the last week? Well, most likely, or maybe the last two weeks, so we have disobeyed in some way. But thankfully, we're all under Christ and under His grace if we are in Christ. So here in the first two chapters of Genesis, we have God establishing His kingdom. We have God's people. He created Adam and Eve. In God's place, which is Eden, is a specific place under God's rule. This is Him establishing His kingdom. And again, his kingdom is being administered through covenants, through different covenants. And he called Adam and Eve to be fruitful and multiply, fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion. From the very beginning, the story of every human life is really just a small part of a bigger story that is happening. It's part of a bigger story. Do we see that Adam and Eve's lives were made for more than their own existence? Like he didn't, he didn't tell them to, I'm going to put you in the, in the, in the garden and it, then it's all about you. He kind of said, I'm going to put you in the garden, it's all about everything else. It's a, it's a different idea of the way we think about our lives. There's nothing in there about them. It's, it's about, you know, name the animals, keep the land, be fruitful and multiply. Make more people. Adam and Eve's lives were made for more. And so is yours. So is your life. They were not placed in the garden for self-survival and self-satisfaction. That's, that's not why they were put there. They were put there to serve others. I mean, they were there to serve creation at first, but, but eventually they would have to serve others if chapter 3 didn't happen so Quickly. They were immediately given a vision and commission that would take them far beyond the borders of their own needs and concerns. See, their, their lives were set to serve others, serve creation. That's what their purpose was. I mean, just stop and think about what this means for all of us who are the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. We are his, we are sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. You and I were created for more than filling up our schedules with the self-satisfying pursuits of personal pleasure. We were made more for that. We were made more for this bigger thing that's happening around us that God has called us into. He's called us into that. 
We were meant to do more than make sure that all of our needs are fulfilled and all our desires are satisfied. Everything, in, in, even in the New Testament, it's talking about all the different one another's as, as you become part of a faith family. And then, then your life becomes about encouraging one another, loving one another, building one another up. It's just the way he designed it. But we do have the fall and we'd have to deal with that. But Christ has taken care of all the curses that we would ever get from the fall. He's taking care of that for us. We just need to trust him in those moments where we want to wrestle away and, and build our own kingdom. It's really about serving others. Paul Tripp has a very poignant, very poignant sentence. <laughs> he says, we were never meant to be self-focused little kings Ruling minuscule little kingdoms with a population of one. We were never meant to do that. We can see that even from the beginning, and we'll see that all through all through Scripture. That we were never meant to be kings of our own little kingdoms, because there's a bigger story happening. There's a truer story happening. Around us, and we've been called into that story. We've been called into that purpose. We've been called into that meaning of life. And again, don't hear me wrong. It is absolutely right to care about your health, your job, your house, your investments, your family, and your friends. That's absolutely right to do that. But as we say, is as you go and make disciples, as you go and build God's kingdom, we do these things. In fact, it would be irresponsible to act as if none of these things really matter because they, they do matter as long as you're folding them into the bigger story of the kingdom. As long as you're folding them into the bigger story of the kingdom. I mean, it's really a, a tragedy to live only for those things. I think we end up getting frustrated and then we end up having anxiety because those things are things that can pass away very quickly. Fear comes in. But whenever we give our lives or fold our lives into, into God's kingdom and what he has going on, I mean, so much of that stuff just drops away. It just drops off. We know that there's a bigger story happening. And we know that we are, we are, we want to be part of something bigger. Do we not? We know this. Each of us know this. It hits us different ways, right? And some of it's, it's sports, right? We, we, we dive into something that's bigger than us, right? We pick a team, we root for a team, and then how do we start talking about it? Oh, man, we lost last night. Wait a minute. You weren't there. You're sitting at the, you know, on your couch watching it on TV. You weren't there. <laughs> but that's how we do it. And, and that's not just in America. That's all over the world. I mean, we, we think we have some pretty, you know, a fan is just a short term for fanatic. We think we have some fanatics in our country. I mean, you're talking about soccer in England. Those people kill each other over that stuff. It's unreal. But you know and I know that we are supposed to be part of something bigger than just our own little life. 
And that's how we get attached to all these different things. I'm not saying that it's, it's not good and to, to root for a team. Don't, don't hear that. I, you know, I'm not doing the, you know, get off my lawn sermon here. Don't, don't hear that. But I just want to use that to, to get you to see how we are designed. And so we gravitate. We always want to be some, part of something bigger than just ourselves. And, and it's more than just sports. Right? It, it could be you know, a, a political campaign, or it could be a, um, a rally to, for a good cause. It could be you know, just hundreds and hundreds of things. It could be binge-watching a Netflix show, because what we've done is we put ourselves into this bigger story of this drama that's being played out on Netflix. We cannot deny it. We have been designed to be part of something bigger than just our own little kingdoms. In so many ways that, that we dive in and we, we step into that arena, so to speak, to be part of that. Because that's how we're designed. Paul Tripp would call this transcendence. We are all looking for the bigger story. We are all seeking to fulfill our kingdom mandate. All of us. But to me, there's, there's, there can only be one kingdom mandate, and that has to come from, from Scripture. It has to come from Scripture. Again, Paul Tripp talking about the word transcendence says, This desire for transcendence is in all of us because God placed it there. He constructed us to live for more than ourselves. He designed us to want meaning, purpose, and consequences. We were not wired to be fully satisfied with self-survival and self-pleasure. Why is it so many times that we get on the path where we're, we're building our own little kingdom and somewhere along the line it just it becomes empty? And we're looking around like, what are we doing? It's because each of us were designed. We see this Way back in the garden, we were designed to be part of something bigger. You were made to be part of a bigger story, a bigger kingdom. When we fast forward everything to today, God has a bigger objective for your life than your little kingdom, my little kingdom, with a population of one. He has saved each of us to make our lives about telling others about his kingdom and all that he has done to save them, and how they may enter his kingdom. This is the gospel. This is the good news that we are to tell people, that, that Christ came as a human and, and was perfectly obedient to God and took the curses that we deserve, took the wrath that we deserve, went to the grave. He rose again, taking away sin, death, and hell. If you would just put your faith and trust in him. And that's just not a one-time prayer that we say. That's an every day, every moment type of thing. We must learn how to give our lives over to him and trust in him in everything. In everything that we do. Because he's called us to be some part of something so much bigger than our own little lives. 2 Corinthians 5, 18 through 21 lays it out this way. All this is from God who 
through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So you want to know what your bigger part is? The ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us the message of reconciliation. So now, you're an agent of reconciliation, you have a message of reconciliation. It doesn't say that you have to reconcile people, that you just give a message, right? You're giving a message. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. We're ambassadors for Christ. And we know, if we, if we read the Gospels, right? Jesus did not come to be served, but to what? To serve others. To serve others. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making its appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. See, brothers and sisters, there is a bigger story that is happening. It is a true story of God's kingdom and how it is unfolding. And this story will give meaning and purpose to your life. But the question that I ask for you that that God was asking me all week is, is whose kingdom are we living for? My kingdom or God's kingdom? My kingdom or God's kingdom? Shall we pray? Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I, I just, I'm so grateful that you, that you loved us so much to call us out of darkness into the light. To call us from a, a path of of curses or destruction, your wrath rightly deserved because we rebel against you into the path of endless blessings that is all laid out for us in our future and today. Well, I I know that nobody can just flip the switch and, and change all of this. And no one's, and I know that you're so patient that you don't expect us to. But Lord, I would just ask that those that are in Christ today, that they would at least just examine one part of their life and say, how can I serve others? How can I be an agent of reconciliation? How can I be about furthering God's kingdom? Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would speak to them and help them. And Lord, and I know that there will be great joy on the other end of that. Lord, I pray if there's anybody within the sound of my voice that does not know you that would consider to be still be in Adam and, and heading straight for the curses that Adam secured for them, Lord, I pray that you have changed their hearts and they may now turn and stop trusting in their own kingdom and fully trust in you and all that you have done to secure for us. That you took the wrath that we all deserve, that you were the perfect sacrifice that that washes away our sins. Father, I pray that they would turn to you today. And Lord, again, I just ask for your spirit to help us. We are all on this path together, but we're all on different stages. Lord, I just pray that we can help one another to grow to be more like you, to further your kingdom, And to know that our lives have meaning and purpose when we step into your kingdom 
and step into your purposes and plans for us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.